everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Greetings from Nashville, Tennessee. It was a short drive and a happy drive because I'm very glad to be here with you today. You know, before I introduce myself formally, can I tell you a quick story? Uh, This is what got me here, at least in this location. Obviously, salvation got me here, but um, I heard the gospel for the first time as a student, as a freshman in college, and it changed my life really forever. And there's things that I've been doing since then. I became an evangelist, a pastor, a director with Every Nation Ministries. But um, on April 25th, 2015, there was a turn that happened in my heart. And some of you might remember this day and you might not, but there was a major earthquake, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake that hit Nepal. And I didn't know it. Not that I'm prophetic and should have known it, but I had come off the road, I started traveling, I woke up early the next morning, I came downstairs just to catch up on the news and just relax a little bit, and mostly because I couldn't sleep. I went downstairs and I turned on my flat screen TV. This is the same TV that I had been shooing my kids away from for the past couple of months because there was history. They broke the last TV. And so I just said, okay, you guys stay away from it. I came downstairs turned on the TV, nothing happened. Now, I hadn't had my coffee yet, hadn't read my Bible yet, so other stuff started percolating in me. And as I sat there for a second, just beginning to stew, you can hear, you know, sometimes when you turn electronics on early in the morning, you can hear the electricity kind of flowing through it, crackling a little bit. So I became a little bit confident, okay, the TV's on, but something's wrong with it. Really, there was nothing wrong with the TV. I had it on the news channel already, and a live satellite feed was audio linked, but not video linked. And as the video began to come on, the lights in the background weren't on either. And so I can hear the person, and I can see a little bit of their shadow, but I couldn't see them completely. But slowly, the TV began to brighten, and the lights in the background began to brighten. And then what I began to see was a reporter, a little disheveled. You can tell she had just gotten out of bed and that the camera crew around her was just getting together and just putting things together. The lights, as I mentioned, hadn't even begun to warm up yet, but they were coming on. And you can see a bunch of people uh, crowded in the background. Some were running, some were walking. But the thing that caught my eye was this. You can obviously see there were piles of rubble a hundred feet high behind this woman. You can tell this is where buildings used to stand. And then it began to dawn on me, because I, you know, I announced to you that there was an earthquake. I began to see that something devastating had just happened. Now, I was born and raised in California, and so there, we, can, we have earthquakes all the time. I mean, you know, you, I can be on stage, earthquake will happen, we'll just pause and wait for things to settle, and then we'll continue on. But there, lives were completely changed. And so as I saw these bricks and I saw these piles of debris, the reporter began to speak. And you can tell she was, she was talking to somebody else far, far away and was nodding in her head, nodding on her ear, listening to something. And as she did that, 
a man walked by in a hard hat, and she just grabbed him out of the, tr- out of the crowd and began to interview him and then asked him some questions. And he began to speak in broken English and answered her questions and said, yes, you, would, you could describe me as a, as a first responder, somebody just coming to the scene. And as she described again further what was going on, he stood next to her, and then she was a little embarrassed because she saw that she was keeping him from doing something. And he again said, never mind, I'm okay. And then she said, what are you waiting for? What is it that you're looking for? He said, I'm here, and I wanted to check the location out, but he said, what I'm actually waiting for are the bricks to finish falling, is the rubble to stop rolling. And she said, explain to me, what does that mean? Why would you do that? And he said, well, let me back this up. He said, well, when you first are underground and you're buried, the first thing you, you try to do is make as much noise as you can. If you can get air in your lungs, you're going to breathe in and breathe out. But we actually tell people not to do that because we don't know what kind of fumes or debris or dust are actually in the air around them since they're in such a cramped space. Where she said, then what do you suggest people do? And he said, well, this is what people are going to do. They're buried underground. He said, they start making noise. They make as much noise as they can. And he said, this is why I wait for the rubble to stop falling because I can't tell the difference between falling rock and somebody ticking underground. And so that's why it paused and talked to a reporter. And just as he began to say that, the Holy Spirit quickened something to my heart, which basically said this, we all at one time make noise. We all at one season were buried under our sin. We all at one time were pressed deep without a way to move, without a way to go, and we made noise. Maybe we didn't know we were making noise, but somebody heard us. And somebody dug after us. If you're ministering right now, you're a digger. If you're preaching right now, you're a digger. If you're leading a Bible study and praying for your family, you're a digger. I didn't know I was making noise. But there were people who came and found me. People who came and dug after me. They dug after my attitude. They dug after my past. They dug after me. And as the Holy Spirit says, he searched for me and found me. I wasn't looking for him, but he found me. But the reality is this. I do what I do because the laborers are few. The diggers are few. And I praise God that each one of you are here because in one way or another, God's calling you to be a digger. God's calling you to be a laborer. Amen? Amen? So that's why I'm here today. I was once buried alive, and now I'm alive because I'm no longer buried. I've been uncovered by God, raised up by the Lord. And so again, somebody dug me out. Uh, We can go with the pictures. Again, my name is Danelle Sparks, and God has given me a passion to raise as many laborers as I can for the kingdom of God. And so, in one word, I can say it again, God's called us and called me to dig. Uh, There's a picture there. This is one of, this is our most recent class of new missionaries uh, that are being launched out. Uh, We just sent them out on Friday. 
And then I drove up here yesterday, and I'm with you today, and so I'm tired but happy. Uh, because, again, these are more people going to the nations to preach what was preached to them, to do what was done to them, to do what God has called all of us to do, which is tell people and give people the reason for the hope that's within us. Let me say this. Uh, Mabel knows where I'm going to go with this. Mabel's one of the missionaries we sent out a few years ago who's doing great work. Come on, Mabel. But here's the reality. Most of today's American Christians are going to die and go to heaven having told nobody about the hope that's within them. And my encouragement to you as, as a representative and a result of somebody who just told me, tell somebody else. Tell somebody else the hope that's within you. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be perfect. This is more than just your light shining. This is your mouth opening. But sitting with people and just telling them your story. You don't have to be versed in apologetics. You don't have to know the history and background and all these other things. But you just tell them, I know what happened to me. I know what God did to me. They, there's, they can't refute that. People can't turn that around. They can't turn that away. You are the testimony. You're the commercial for what, how good God is. All right, I'm off my notes. All right. These are the people that we sent out. And then also I want to, along with that, formally invite you to our GO conference. You see the dates up there. You know, this is, I, I'm finding this out. Go ahead and give that a hand. Great. You know, I'm finding this out as I go, but we're, this is the last conference we're going to have in the U.S. for between 6 and 12 years. And these are life-changing conferences because as much as I could celebrate being with you as a family member, imagine thousands of others being with us as family members also. You're going to get a chance to see people from all over the world doing exactly what you're doing here. Other churches, other, other congregations, other campuses, other places that are doing the work of God and encouraging one another to keep going. Amen? That's our Go Conference. I encourage you to come. And then finally, there's a picture of my, my wife and my children. Uh, they're not much of children anymore. All right, but there's my wife there. That's the one on the bottom right. She makes me happy. And then the rest of them, they just make me pray. <laughs> but that's my family. That's my family. Uh, they send their greetings. Thank you very much. They send their greetings. Uh, they're glad I'm here with you today, and I'm thrilled to be here with you. As far as I'm concerned, this is a divine appointment. This is a divine moment. You know, I didn't know I was coming. Um, the Lord put it on one of our pastor's hearts and said, Danelle, will you come? I said, I sure will. And uh, drove up on yesterday, and uh, God put some things on my heart I'm going to share with you today. Uh, let's do this. Let's go right into our text, and then we'll pray. All right? Can we do this? Every once in a while, I feel like going traditional. Can we stand up as we read this? I'll read this to you. This is out of Numbers 13, uh, 30 through 33. I'll go ahead and read it. We don't, you can just follow along. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report, and the land that they had spied out, saying, the land which we have gone up to spy out, to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are great height, 
And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, basically giants. Uh, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. You can, you can sit down. Just a quick comment about that. Isn't it at the challenge of life where in one case we're able to say we're able to go up and take it, but in other seasons we say we're not? Isn't that the challenge where, where, where whatever day we face, whatever circumstance we face, one moment we can say, yes, I can. And the other moment we say, no, I can't. I don't know if, if there's trouble in the family. It doesn't matter if there's trouble in your marriage or trouble in your finances. We all have those ebbs and flow of life, those challenges that come up. Some are expected and some are unexpected where we say, yes, we can or no, we can't. And I think that's one of the tensions of life. And the, the people, when it comes down to it, the people that the spies encountered, ultimately, they weren't the problem. The giants the spies encountered were not the problem. The fortified cities that they encountered were not the problem. God's people were the problem. God's people were the problem. This is something I found over time, that people are like pots. And again, we're, we're coming to the point where we're going to pray, but people are like pots. You can't see inside of them like a giant bowl. One of my favorite meals is pho, pho, pho. Okay, I love it. But, you know, you can't, it, when I get it, usually the time they fill it right up to the brim, you know, right up to the edge. And then when you dump everything else into it, it sometimes overflows. But people are like that. You don't know what's really in them until you bump them. You don't know what they're full of until they get jostled a little bit, until they get pushed a little bit. You know, sometimes we get pushed at work. What comes out? Sometimes our spouse pushes us. What comes out? Sometimes our kids push us. They break our flat screen TVs. What comes out? You know what I mean? There's certain circumstances that we as saints faith, face and things come out of us. Sometimes we know it's going to come out. Don't mess with me. Hey, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry, okay? Uh, or we don't know it comes out. Oh, I'm so sorry I said that. I'm so sorry I did that. But the reality is sometimes what comes out of us is what we're full of already. Something came out of Israel. Something came out of those spies that they were already full of. The problem wasn't the giants. It wasn't the land. It wasn't the cities. It was them. But then something came out of Caleb that he was full of also. They saw exactly the same things, right? They had the same experience, right? But something different was coming out of Caleb. Something different was coming out of the spies. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Everybody say, we get bumped. We get bumped. Because God loves us. I love this. He tests us. He doesn't test us to find out in his eyes, what's in us, he tests us so we can see what's in us by our own eyes. God already knows what's in us. God already knows what we're full of. But many times he wants us to see it. There's times when God shows me my pride. There's times when God shows me my insecurity. There's times when God shows me my inconsistency. You know, I love what, uh, what an old friend of mine used to say. He said this, he said, we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. 
And he said, man, if you can ever reverse that, you'll see yourself a whole lot differently. God bumps us sometimes. Circumstances bump us. People bump us. And we get a chance to see what's inside of ourselves. So Caleb was in this situation and something spilled out of him. And so here's the title and then we'll pray. Here's the title. From here to there, crossing over with Caleb into the promised land. Crossing over with Caleb to the promised land from here to there. We're also going to look at a few keys to Caleb's crossover. Amen. All right. Father, we again thank you so much for this time. Lord, put us in the moment. Lord, maybe there's not a physical promised land that you're calling us to, but there's a spiritual one. There's a relational one. For some of us, it's a financial one. For others, it is a circumstance that we want to see happen, that we want to enter into. But Lord, you're calling us into it and things are coming out along the way. Lord, open our eyes this morning to what you're doing, not just on the earth, but in ourselves. Lord, you know us. Help us to know you better and know ourselves as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, I'm going to preach to you something that, that uh, is for me as well. I mean, obviously, I think as a pastor, if you didn't get it, it's hard to give it. But there are some circumstances that I've been facing, and they're all good, but I'm watching what comes out of me. So uh, some of the stories might match that. All right, here's the background. Moses led the people of Israel out of bondage and crossed to the Red Sea. Uh, Pharaoh's army is destroyed, and they're preparing to go into the promised land. And we're going to read it here in Numbers. You can just follow along with me. Uh, chapter 13, uh, Numbers 13, 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. So the nation of Israel is on the precipice of God's promise. And God says, Moses, go among the people and have them select leaders, people of reputation, to go spy out the land. And so 10 leaders are chosen, and then on top of that, uh, Joshua is chosen in verse 6, and Caleb is chosen in verse 8. So 12 spies are sent, one from each tribe, into the promised land. Verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, uh, and again, he described to them what spy out means. He said, go up to the Negev. Go up to the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people are, where, uh, whether the people who dwell there are, and listen to the contrast here, whether they are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests or trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And then he says it, then scripture says this, now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen uh, to Rehob near uh, Labo Hamath, and they went up to the Negev and came to Hebron. Hebron has a whole history of itself. But everybody hear the contrast? I'll read it again. Strong or weak, 
few or many, good or bad, camps or strongholds, rich or poor. And they had 40 days to spy out the land. And the, what it sounds like is 10 of them heard strong, poor, bad, strongholds, poor. But Caleb and Joshua heard they're weak, they're few, they're bad, the land is good, excuse me, it's their camps, and the land is rich. After 40 days, two groups of people came away with two separate conclusions about exactly the same thing. They were all there together. They were all going through the promised land together. God had already promised it, and they already knew it, but Moses said, spy it out, and they still came back with different conclusions. Verse 23, and they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And I'm, I was thinking of that. It didn't say vine. It said a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. You know, I'm trying to imagine a single cluster of grapes on a pole between two full-grown men. Oh, my gosh. That's just huge. Okay. Uh, they also brought some pomegranates and figs. In verse 26, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land uh, which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. It started off great. The report started off fantastic. It's like New Year's resolution. This is what, third week? Starting off fantastic, doing great, okay? But then it turns. There's a but. Verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified. Remember they had a, the chance to choose one or the other? You see what side they chose? Strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The people are strong. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, they started naming all these enemies. The Amorites dwell in the country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Enemies are everywhere. We're going to have to fight and fight. And I don't want to fight. They're big and the cities are strong. This is gonna, I mean, the, you can hear the complaining going on. But this gets us back to the text. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. He had to quiet them because they were loud and freaking out. And he said, let us go up at once, not tomorrow. Let's go now and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men had gone up with him and said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Now, just a side note. Just two years earlier, two and a half years earlier, all these people were slaves. All of them were slaves. Ten plagues struck Egypt. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the drowning of Pharaoh's mighty army. While they were in the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of cloud during the day that shielded them from the heat, and then a pillar of fire by night that kept their camps warm. 
They had manna breath. They had bread from heaven every single day. This is the God that was taking care of them. And somehow they concluded that if they entered this land, that care would stop. They drank that manna. They drank, they ate manna, and then they drank water from a rock. There was miracle. And this is just a, a fraction. There was miracle after miracle, testimony after testimony of God's goodness. Verse 32, so they brought to the people of Israel... They were jostled, and so out of the leaders came a bad report. They were bumped, and a bad report came out of them. A bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Keep that thought in your mind, devours. And all the people that we saw in it are, great, are a great height. They're reiterating their complaint. And they saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seen to them. That's what we opened up with. I want to continue, and I want to try and draw out a few quick points regarding the contrast, really highlighting, though, who Caleb really was. Here's some quick points. Doubt is powerful. Doubt is powerful. The doubts of 10 men turned the hearts of 2 million. Doubt is powerful. It's amazing how fast bad news and doubt can travel. Fear is a great conversationalist. Fear is an excellent conversationalist. You know, I love it because it says Caleb quieted the people. He, he shut up fear as fast as he could. Wasn't fast enough. You guys ever get into a situation where you're challenged to do something, and then when you get a chance to think about it, you have a whole conversation about what can and can't be done? It's almost like anger where you're upset with somebody, and you can be in your car, and you can have a whole argument with them, and they're not even in the car. You get home, and they're mad. I mean, I, here, kid you not, I've been hit. I've been hit by my wife in the middle of the night because of a dream she had, <laughs> and it was still my fault. Okay, so these things can play in our minds. They can play in our hearts. Fear does that. Fear not only has a voice, fear has a great imagination. Fear has an excellent imagination. One of my favorite quotes is by Mark Twain regarding this. He says, I'm an old man and I have known a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. Fear has a great imagination. When I'm, brought, when I'm brought to opportunities or obstacles, these same things, these same fears, these same doubts cross my mind. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not quick enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. And then I remember what God says, and we'll talk about this in a minute, how he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect when I'm weak. You get to hold on to those things. I don't know about you. I don't need a different diet. I don't need a different exercise regimen. I don't need a different book. I need a different spirit. I need a different spirit. No matter the circumstances I face, I can't even, I can claim there's moments when I think I have a different spirit, but there's other moments when I need a different spirit. I need to receive things differently. I need to see things 
differently. Numbers 14, 24. Let's go in here. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Even though Caleb, the, the Israelites and Caleb saw the same things, they had many different reactions. Different things, as I said earlier, came out of Caleb than came out of the rest of the spies. Here are some observations. A different spirit is not always given. It is forged. A different spirit. Sometimes as Christians, I think we wait on a different spirit. We ask God for a different spirit. But I'm coming to the conclusion, yes, God can give us a different spirit, a different view, a different attitude. But I think a lot of times that different spirit is forged. We put it together piece by piece, testimony by testimony, prayer by prayer, consistently over and over again. In the process of watching God, I believe Caleb was changed. We go through those miracles. I don't know about you, but I think, I, I would hope that the miracles that I've seen in my life have changed my perspective about what God can and cannot do. I hope I don't go back to the bondage of slavery God dug me out of. I hope I don't. But you know what? If I keep meditating on what didn't work out versus what did, I might. In the process of seeing God's faithfulness, Caleb's different spirit was formed. When I, I can imagine the 400 years of slavery. And, and, and if you go, as you go through generous, there was already a hum in the air that God is going to show up. There's already a thought in the process that God was going to show up. I think Caleb was about 40 before he was even set free as a slave. That's a long time to be a slave. But that's also a longer time to have an expectation, 400 years, that God is going to show up. Because God promised he would. God said he would. And Israel still held on to the reality that God is going to show up and free them. Next point. You know, I'll say this. A different spirit is forged. Just coming back for a second. Listen, this is why we read our Bibles. This is why we fellowship. This is why we're in church. This is why we go to life group and Bible study. So that that different spirit is forged in the relationships we have. Forged by the faith that we develop. Forged in the friendships we put together. Forged in conferences that we just talked about. There are moments we can pick up along the way that begin to create in us a different spirit. Next, hope, next point, living different starts with thinking different. We've heard this before, as a man thinks, so is he. But living different starts with thinking different. I, I like this. There was a man who went to a doctor, and he said, doctor, please help me. I hurt all over. I heard all over, and as he began to explain what was going on, the doctor said, show me, where does it hurt? He says, it hurts when I touch my shoulder, it hurts. When I touch my leg, it hurts. When I touch my foot, it hurts. I'm in agony. He says, when I touch my hand, it hurts. I'm in so much pain. The doctor said, it hurts everywhere you touch? He said, yes. And the doctor said, I think I figured this out. You have a broken finger. You know, it's amazing. 
It's amazing how when one thing isn't right, everything we touch with that one wrong thing hurts. When our thinking isn't right, everything we touch with our thinking hurts. You ever talk to somebody, you can tell them good news, but they have a bad attitude, they don't receive this good news, okay? Somehow that good news is an inconvenience, it's cumbersome, okay? And so my point is, though, we've got to get our thinking right. And as the Bible talks about renewing our mind, this is included. Renewing the way we think, renewing the way we process things. Next point, Caleb saw the promise and the problem. You know, when I was younger, I used to think faith was ignoring the problem and seizing the promise. I thought faith was ignoring the problem and seizing the promise. When really, as I'm older, I realize you can't have faith if you don't know the problem. Is it really faith if you don't know what you're facing? Is it really faith if you don't know the weight of the consequences? Is it really faith? I mean, David didn't just sling a rock in the air hoping it would hit something. He saw that giant. His shield, spear, armor, he saw it. And the faith that it took to still run towards that giant is what was commendable. If there was nothing there, is it really faith? Faith. Caleb saw the promise and the problem. And the point is, is that Faith, can faith really be faith without problems? Next point, Caleb wasn't pushed. He wasn't bumped by the problem. He was pulled by the promise. He was willing to go through all the wars and all the fighting because God said the promise is yours. The land is yours. Now, this is something I'm teaching my kids about faith and following God. I tell them it's not easy. If you're in this thing for the ride, you're going to be thoroughly disappointed. You need to be in this for the destination. If you're in this because the ride, you're the ride if you think the ride is going to be smooth, you're going to be thoroughly disappointed. If you think this is good, the faith is a luxury vehicle, you're going to be thoroughly disappointed. There are ups and downs and ins and outs that forge you and make you, but focus on the destination. Focus on the one that's getting you there. Caleb wasn't pushed. He wasn't bumped by the problem. He was pulled by the promise. I want to see that God. I want to see the God that Caleb saw. I want to see the stack of testimonies Caleb had that reminded him of how good God actually was, which gave him the confidence to go into that promised land. Listen, spiritually, we all start off as slaves. We all start off with shaking things off and freeing ourselves of different things. I'm going to go on. Next point. By remembering his path, excuse me, by remembering his past, Caleb saw his future differently. By remembering his past, Caleb saw his future differently. I believe this one's going to be on the screen. Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, all my soul and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, all my soul and forget not. Everybody say, forget not. Forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your sins. Sometimes we forget that. 
and heals all your diseases. I looked this up about all. I found out it's a peculiar word in the Greek. You know what it means? All. <laughs> he forgives all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Can we pause there for a second? He redeemed our life from the pit. The imagery there is that it was a hole so deep and so narrow, you weren't going to get out no matter how long you had and no matter how hard you tried. You rede he redeemed our lives from a pit. And then he crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel, including the spies and Caleb. Caleb didn't forget. Caleb remembered God. He remembered that pillar of fire. He remembered that pillar of cloud. He remembered the manna. He remembered the testimonies. He remembered the plagues. He remembered what God did. Then I'm going to begin to close here. Numbers 14. This is not in your notes. I'm going to read it out loud. 14.6. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of uh, Jeneb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out. It is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will give it to us. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, that land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Okay? Before, they were saying, we're going to get consumed by the land. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, we're going to consume them. They're bread for us. I have a journal on my phone. I just put it in my pocket. It's full of answered prayers, and it's by that I learn how to fight. I learn how to consume my enemies. The enemy that says, you can't take that mountain, I flip back in the page and say, well, I took this molehill, and I took this mound, and I took this hill, and I took that hill, and God let me take this hill. I think I can do the same thing through God with that mountain. They're bread for us. I don't know where you are right now, but my hope for you is that later you can say this. Joshua 14, and again, here's where we're closing. And now behold, the Lord God has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years. This is, Josh, this is Caleb coming right back to where he left off. 45 years since that time, the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still strong today as I was in that day Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how Anakim were there. He wants the land where the giants are with great fortified cities, that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out. Last two points. Entering your land of promise is not a one-time event. God's going to bring you back and put you further into that land. 
God's going to circle you back around until you defeat all the enemies in the land he's called you to have. It's not a one-time event. And then some promises are not just given. They must be seized. Notice there's no scripture saying the giants left before Caleb showed up again. There's no scripture saying that the trouble was gone before Caleb showed up again 48 year, 45 years later. It's, the giants are still there waiting for him. Caleb still had to enter in, still had to attack, and still had to seize the land. See, again, God provides these tests not so that he can see what's in our heart, but so that we can see what's in our own hearts. And I'm going to end with this. This is a poem by Pastor James McDonald. Some of you might know who he is. He says this. He said, doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night but faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step, but faith soars up high. When doubt questions who believes, faith rises and stands and says, I. Father, may we all rise and say, I believe. Lord, I trust you. Lord, heal our vision, heal our thinking, strengthen us to enter in and take the land you've called us to take. Lord, even now, call to remembrance your faithfulness, call to remembrance, remembrance your promises, call to remembrance your goodness, so that these are the things that are echoing our minds as we go to new places, as we get bumped and new circumstances come. Lord, as we take on new opportunities and challenges, and Lord, even as we fight not just the enemies on the outside, but the enemies on the inside, we thank you that you are the God of all encouragement, and you've called us to take new land every day. Lord, I thank you for this people. I thank you for this time, and I ask your blessing takes us further than we dream to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.